Welcome to season two of the Real Love, Real Talk podcast. We're happy you're back. On this season, you can expect thought-provoking and contemporary conversations between young people and adults about consent and communication. Some audience members may find the subject matter to be triggering. We encourage you to reach out to a trusted adult, family member, or friend. You can always find additional resources in our show notes or on our website, thehallsboston.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Sonia Garcia. I'm 18, and I use the She Series. I go to John D. O'Brien, and I'm going to go ahead and pass to Hannah so she can introduce herself. Hi, everyone. My name is Hannah Pavlos. I'm 16. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I go to Boston Latin School. I'm going to pass it to Megan, our guest, so she can introduce herself. Thank you so much, Scania and Hannah. I'm so excited to be here. Um, my name is Megan Hemian. I'm the director of the Health Resource Center at the Boston Public Health Commission. Um, the Health Resource Center is in six different Boston Public High Schools, and we teach the sexual health curriculum in all of those schools. So we teach sex ed, we teach mental health awareness, and we also teach about substance use and misuse. But today, I'm here to have a conversation with y'all about consent. So here's the scenario. Four friends are going to the mall to shop for the afternoon. One friend wants to go into a store that the three others don't and laughs off the other's request saying we don't want to waste our time there so we'll see you later. The other friend doesn't want to be left alone so they follow the other three. What thoughts do you have about this? Personally, I think this is a really interesting way to start the conversation about consent, because I think so frequently when we talk about consent, we think about consent in relation to sex. And so I love the idea of kind of this like emotional consent scenario where we're having a, you know, an altercation with friends and we're asking, hey, can we all go here? And then that's not the jam. So, um, you know, definitely it's unfortunate that this person didn't get to go to the the store that they wanted to um you know uh but it, it also feels like there's some some lightweight bullying happening here i'm wondering what other folks think i definitely think it's peer pressure and so consent is not involved because it's not all four of them agreeing on a place to go um scania what do you think i have to say at this point i would ask this person to find better friends because you can tell that these people are not this kid's friends. You know what I mean? Like, real friends, even if they didn't want to spend a lot of time in the store, they could express that. And I feel like that's pretty valid because I'm not going to sit here and, like, force somebody to go somewhere where they don't want to go. But at the same time, it's like, they were really excited. And it's kind of rude of you to sit here and be like, hey, I don't want to waste my time here. And then just leave them alone when they clearly don't want to be left alone. So I would really ask this person to find new and better friends. And I know it's a lot easier said than done. But they deserve better friends. And I agree with Hannah, it does sound a lot like peer pressure. And it's kind of sad. And I think also, sorry to add in, I feel like if that's how they act about just going to a store, what else could they peer pressure that friend into? Or what other things will they just not listen to their friend about? So that could put them in dangerous positions and other places of consent. Yeah, Hannah, I think it's really important that you added that there because, you know, these friends could have just kind of edited how they were acting right they could have just hung out outside the store so that this person could go into the store for a little bit and check out whatever they were looking for Um, and I think that's a really important thing to bring up if if someone if a group of friends is able to sway someone to do something that they or not do something that they want to do um, you know in relation to just shopping um, then I can only imagine how deep that peer pressure could become later.
And it also seems like, you know, this person, um, that that one friend, right, who wants to go to the other store, um, you know, it seems like they're um, not very good at holding their own boundaries or expressing how they're feeling. Uh, but also it is a really, you know, just a small little um, scenario. So we don't have a whole lot more information, but definitely an interesting thing to think of. Yeah, I agree. Good point. Scania, should we start on the questions? I think we should. Okay, so Hannah and I is going to ask you some good old questions and you can go ahead and ramble about them. So does consent always have to be verbal? Ooh, that is a good one. Um, so, you know, certainly we're, we're taught that like an enthusiastic yes means that someone's given consent, you know, and when someone says no, no means no, right? So these are definitely the, the verbal pieces of consent. Um, and, and though that is true, um, there's also body language plays a role, right? The way that someone is engaging, someone could be saying yes, um, but their behavior is saying no, right? Um, and so I think it's really important that people are practicing proper communication skills when it comes to intimate moments with their partners. Um, you know, really thinking about like, do I actually want to do this? Right. Um, and, you know, one of the things you told me I can ramble, Scania, so here I go. <laughs> um, so one of the things that we talked about last week, um, you know, is about the brain. And I think so many people forget that the brain is such, plays such a vital role in our lives. You know, it's this thing that we don't necessarily see, but it literally controls all of the things. Um, and so last week when we were talking together about the nuances of consent, um, I told y'all a little bit about the dual control model, um, which is really the, the part of our brain that reacts and responds to sexual stimuli. And when I say sexual stimuli, I mean, whatever the you and your brain perceive to be sexual stimuli. So even right now, just using sexual stimuli might be triggering these parts of your brain. Um, and so the dual control model really focuses on um, if any of y'all are familiar with driving, right? Um, when you're driving, there's a gas to get the car going and there's a brake to get the car to stop. Um, and so when we think about the dual control model, what's really happening there is you have things that are, you know, going to get the brake, uh, the gas going, right? It's things that are really going to um, push things in the right direction. Maybe that's, you know, some sweet talking, right? Maybe that's foreplay. Maybe that's taking you to dinner. Uh, you know, this can look so different for so many people. Um, and then we have that break, right? We have this stop, this like automatic stop that's kind of built into us where our body tells us, hey, you know what? I'm not into it. Maybe it, and these things are all connected to our five senses. Um, and so, you know, this could be like you catch a smell that just like smells like your cousin's you know, little brother. And it's just like, me, not here for it. I'm off now. I'm done. I'm out. I, I'm not into this anymore. Right. And so I think it's really important, you know, that we think about that and we think about how the, the brain is reacting and responding when it comes to consent. And so, you know, does consent always have to be verbal? You know, yes, I'd love to hear everyone give like a nice enthusiastic yes. Um, but is that the reality all the time? Not so much. That's a very interesting point. Thank you. Because I think that explains a lot of things that maybe people listening to this or like myself have gone through. It like explains why your body's doing certain things. And it also makes you think about like how you should decide to respond to a partner if that is the case, because you shouldn't, it's not their fault, right? Like it's not something you can blame someone else for. So I, yeah. I yeah. Think, right. I also appreciate that you brought up body language because I feel like body language tells you <clears throat> a lot more than words do. Right. So like, the fact that like people will be saying yes but their body will very clearly be saying no and it's like how to manage that is also very important in my opinion 
Yeah. And, and, you know, Scania, I thank you for bringing that up because, you know, last week when we were talking, some of the things we talked about were like biological cues, right? We talked about goosebumps, sweating, heavy breathing, right? All three of these things could mean someone super into whatever is going on, you know, that that, that sexual gas is going, um, you know, but they could also mean the exact opposite. And so it's so important to just kind of be in touch um, you know, with yourself and with your partner or partners so that you really can all be in line with what's going on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Um, so question two, we have another one for you. How do you know your own comfort zone and communicate that to your partners? Because I know sometimes, especially with teen relationships, it's really hard to say no, maybe if you're not comfortable or it's not given that amount of time, because I think a lot of teen relationships rush to that point faster. Yeah, thank you for that, Hannah. Um, you know, I think when it comes to identifying what our comfort zone is, um, that that's really something that we have to work with and identify on our own as we go through our day to day. You know, are you the type of person who you're comfortable with your friend, you know, like sees you across the room and like runs up from behind you and gives you a hug? I know for me, I'm not into that. Um, I'm not cool with that. I'm going to have a really adverse reaction to that. But some people are really here for it, right? And so I think when it comes to identifying what our own comfort zone is like, it's it's a game you have to play with yourself to figure out what you're comfortable with and what you're not. And when it comes to communicating those, those boundaries and what your comfort zone is with your partner, I think what's most important is to practice assertive communication, right? Where you're being very clear, you're using I statements, right? You're not making it general, like, oh, well, you know, sometimes when stuff like this happens, people might like, no, no, don't overgeneralize this scenario. This is about you own it, right? I don't feel comfortable with this. I would feel more comfortable with X, Y, or Z, right? And, and really thinking about how we can effectively communicate, because I think, you know, this question is kind of asking two different things, right? It's asking, how do we determine what our comfort zone is, which again, that's, that's a journey every single person has to make every day on their own. Um, but then that, how do we communicate it? You know, that's really the space of imploring yourself to be able to use assertive communication skills, which I think, especially for young women, is something that is not really like, that is not really easy to do. Um, you know, it can be very challenging to, to try to express yourself, you know, especially if it's something like, no, I don't, you know, let's say you're engaging in a sexual behavior and you're trying to explain to your partner like hey I like this but I would like it a little bit better if you did it this way right um and and that just that alone expressing I as a woman like this is its own thing right that's its own bag to unpack and you know as young women, we're, we're not often taught or told that it's okay for us to like engaging in sexual behavior, right? And so to then express, hey, I like this, and I would like it even more if you did it this way, is a whole is a whole other bag, right? And I think it's so important, um, you know, that, that we have those conversations and that we're able to communicate in that way because it can bring you and your partner or partners so much closer. Um, Oh, um, so, you know, sometimes people say no, right? Sometimes people might say no. And it's almost this, you know, we talked about this a little bit um, last week. We talked about this kind of playing hard to get, right? Um, and, and there's something in that that's, that's very flirty, that's very sexy, that's very exciting. Um, 
but we're hearing a verbal no, right? So what do we do in that moment? How do we engage in that? And I think a lot of that, you know, really comes down to the communication levels that you have with your partner, right? Um, you know, so maybe you're playing hard to get, but you know, that that body language is very much like the eye contact is there, the the hands are moving, like, you know, there's there's physical engagement in what's going on, even though we're saying no and playing hard to get. And I think, you know, that's one of the the biggest issues when it comes to consent is people, you know, will say something like, oh, you're just playing hard to get and try to, you know, convince somebody to do something that they don't want to do. And, and sometimes that's the way that cookie crumbles. And other times, you know, that could be a scenario where someone really is just kind of engaging in this, this cute, sexy, fun role play. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask you the very next question. Well, it's not really a question. It's more of a topic that we just want you to go on about. So talk to us about giving consent under the influence. Ooh, giving consent under the influence. That's such a juicy one because we know it happens, right? We know it happens. We see it in movies. We see it in media. We see it on social media. We see it in our own lives, right? It happens. People do engage in sexual behaviors when they're under the influence, whether that be under the influence of alcohol, whether that be under the influence of marijuana, right? Like it happens. Um, and I think, you know, what, what gets really interesting here is, you know, the fact that it's so common um, is interesting in that, um, you know, the kind of the three questions that I think of when I think about um, giving consent under the influence is one, is this person coherent, right? Are, are they like fully here? Uh, two, does this person have a full grasp of what's actually happening right now? Like, are they fully present here? And is this person able to communicate clearly? Um, if you answer no to any of those questions and you have even the slightest inkling, um, you know, that, that that answer might be something other than an, an enthusiastic yes, for me, that's a no. That, that's the, the line drawn, right? And I think um, it's so interesting because, you know, we, we learn and we're told and I teach myself, you know, if you're under the influence, you can't give consent. And yet it still occurs. Um, so I think that, you know, we really just have to be to be mindful because at the end of the day, you could be under the influence. You could engage in a sexual behavior the next day. You don't remember it at all. And then later down the line, you remember it and you don't remember saying yes. Right. And so there's this scenario where if you wanted to press charges, in theory, you could. So, um, you know, what about when both people are under the influence? I mean, if both people are under the influence uh, and they want to engage in sex, they're going to do what they want to do, right? People are always going to do what they want to do. And and that, that gas and that break in our brain doesn't care about what, you know, substances we're under. If something is feeling exciting, if something is feeling like we want to engage in it, um, you know, that gas pedal is going to go. Your body's Yes, 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 let's do this, right? And so I think that, you know, it can get really tricky when it comes to substances. And it's just really important to be mindful of, of what the after effect of that is going to look like because it can go many different ways. Um, and I'm just realizing that I never actually said, and I probably should have since we're having a conversation about consent and we reside in Boston, um, that the age of consent in Boston, in well, in Massachusetts at large, um, is 16. And so um, what's really important to know is that the age of consent is different in every single state. Um, 
which I think is really interesting because I don't think we talk about that enough. Uh, there are a lot of young people who travel out of state to go stay with family. Some even travel out of country to stay with family on breaks and things, um, you know, and you kind of got to know what's going on. You got to know what the age of consent is so you don't find yourself in a situation where you could legally, you know, be dealing with some ramifications. So I always refer people to um, sexetc.org excuse me, um, and then you can click on their action center uh, where you can then see sex in the states and you can click on each state. Um, and when once you get there, you can see the age of consent, the age of minority, what the sex ed rights look like, what LGBTQ plus look like, um, what HIV AIDS testing looks like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's a whole lot of information there and hopefully that will be in the show notes, sexetc.org um, under the action center, sex ed in the state. It's, it's such a really great way, um, you know, to learn about what's okay and what's not okay in whatever state you're in. Um, okay. And then just to kind of add on, I know you kind of answered this question already, but because it is so common for people to hook up while intoxicated, do you think that makes it okay? Because what it sounds like is that you should kind of watch your own habits for yourself and your own mental health and maybe take into consideration like the effects that would have on you before you do something or choose to take a substance um what do you think yeah you know um when i saw this question before we started recording i was like oh goodness how am i going to answer this what am i going to say um because you know it is so common right it happens all the time is it okay um, I struggle with that because when I think is something okay, it puts this like good or bad on it, right? It puts this value on it, um, you know, and really, I think that you said something really important when you asked the question, Hannah, um, you said, because it seems to me like people need to evaluate their own situation, right? And I think when it comes to this, I don't know if I think it's okay or not okay, to be honest with you. Um, but what I can say is that I do think it's very important that People be in tune with themselves, in tune with their emotions. Um, and, and I think to myself, you know, um, when someone is intoxicated, are they fully present with their emotions? Are they fully present with their body? Right. And then, you know, being able to make a decision to be intimate with someone in that moment. Um, yes, I know it happens. Yes, I know it's common. Um, you know, but but does that experience feel the same as it does? Uh, you know, one of it as it does if it wasn't an intoxicated thing. One of the things that we, uh, one of the video clips that I showed you all last week, um, included something from the person who runs the YouTube channel Sexplanations, um, where essentially they said, um, you know, a well cooked meal is a great meal. Right. Um, and so this idea of okay, be drunk, have your drunk moment, you meet, cool, whatever text, text each other, you know, send, send some cute little texts, whatever, do your thing, but don't engage. Right. And then after the fact, after both of you are no longer intoxicated, then start that conversation about being intimate. Um, you know, because when you, when you're intoxicated, sometimes you might want to be doing things that you wouldn't necessarily do when you're not intoxicated. And so when we think about bringing sex into the picture, right. Um, you know, one of the things about consent, you know, the, the Planned Parenthood consent is like fries, right? Freely given, reversible, informed, um, excited and specific, enthusiastic and specific. Um, you know, when we think about that, that informed and specific for me gets a little gray um, when we think about being intoxicated. And so, you know, I think 
yes, folks can engage, but are they fully aware of what they're saying yes to? You know, and it's that informed piece for me that makes it really difficult for me to say whether or not I think that that's okay. Um, because I don't know how people are informing people, you know, someone might be into something, you know, a little kinky and the other person has no idea, but they're like, all right, let's do it. Um, so I think it's important to, to think about that and how that plays a role. Okay. Um, on to the next question, I guess. Um, how does the media portray consent, especially and specifically under the influence? And I'm going to add to that one. I just want to know if you think the media does a good job at covering those topics. Oh, I do not. I do not think uh, that media does a great job covering consent. Um, I feel like media for most of human history has not done a good job covering consent. You know, uh, the, the message that I see a lot is persistence will get you what you want. Um, what I see is, you know, try, try, try and try again. You know, if, if you ask for something and the answer is no, just keep trying. And, you know, that's not what consent looks like. That's what coercion looks like. That's what pressure looks like. And so I think that we definitely need to be doing a better job in the media portraying consent because so many folks are looking to media, you know, to get their ideas and the media sets these social norms for us. And if it's not, if those conversations aren't happening in the movies or films or TV shows or whatever that we're watching, especially when people are intoxicated there's never a conversation about consent in any movie show book anything that I've ever consumed um so I think that it's it's you know it's it's a shortfall um and I really hope that we continue to um work work harder to have conversations like this to to engage in conversations about the nuances of consent to engage in conversations about what consent actually looks like because uh, the media definitely does not do a good job I agree, especially in shows that teenagers watch. So thank you. Um, thank you, Megan, for coming. And where can other teenagers like us find you and your team? Ooh, thank you so much for asking that, Hannah. Um, so the ARC has a TikTok. You can give us a follow at youth, Y-O-U-T-H underscore ish. I-S-H. So give us a follow. We are always posting videos about all the things, sexual health, mental health, substance use, all, all the things. Um, also, if you go to ACC, if you go to English High School, if you go to Cash, if you go to Excel, if you go to BAA or Fenway High School, stop by the HRC. We're here. We've got resources for days and we're ready to help out. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Love, Real Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. As always, check out our show notes for ways to stay in touch with us and our guests. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit us on thehallsboston.com.